You're listening to The 21st Folio, a podcast about modern Shakespeare productions of stage and screen. The podcast is a subsidiary of The Seventh Row, an online publication dedicated to interdisciplinary film and theater criticism. You can find us on Twitter at Seventh Row, with the number seven spelled out, or online at seventh-row.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-H-row.com. In the nun, the nun's world is so filled with war, which is cool. In, in the film, we, we open with that. Even the scene in the prologue where Viola washes up with the captain, and they have to hide because the horses are coming through. Like yeah. war is always present in a way that I haven't seen. I don't think in any stage production, certainly not in the Globes. So that fact that you know you have to deal with the reality of the violence in the world that they're living in is very very real. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes which sense. Is also a big contrast between the sword fights that you have in in the globe, where it's basically Andrew and and Viola just screaming and running <laughs> you know, right. feet away from each other across the stage, and they, they, like their swords don't even cross. Versus in the Nun, where there's actually you know the swords are hitting each other, and there is actual imminent danger. It's not just them screaming like children. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just generally, the the humor is much broader in the Globe production, right? And I think that's obviously an active choice, but it is easier, I think, to play broad comedy on stage than it is in film without it getting just slapsticky. And I mean, like, and I mean, watching these productions reminded me of how much melancholy there is in Twelfth Night for a you know supposed comedy. That there's a lot of humor in it, but like, there's some really sad undertones, and like, it leaves you know, Malvolio unresolved at the, at the end of the play in what turns into it. I found that sort of a very sour note in the globe production, given how broad and and funny and, you know, everything seems to be resolving in traditional Shakespearean comedic fashion. And all of a sudden there's this, this dour note right at the end that doesn't really get a chance to, uh, that, that feels more out of place than it does in the, in the darker world of the nun film. Yeah. What do you think about in the nun film where Malvolio, Seems to like he's leaving. I guess he's gonna go find a new job. I love it. Yeah, it was, what else is there for him to do? <laughs> it was good. I liked. I liked the way um, the nun film used the the fact that it was it wasn't quite so constrained by the words on the page uh, than a stage show was to kind of wrap up everyone's stories a bit, so that you could see things happening in in shots rather than needing it to be spoken yeah and I love the fact that when Malvolio leaves he's you know obviously he doesn't look as awful as he did the last time we saw him having come <laughs> straight from the the dark room um but he's ditched the cheesy toupee and he looks very serious and very distinguished and less ridiculous so you sort of feel like maybe Malvolio has learned something from this experience and uh, when he goes off into the world to find out what he's going to do next, he maybe isn't going to be quite so pompous with everyone because as much as uh, I don't think that <laughs> certainly in the, um, in the nun film, what's done is, is 
utterly over the top, utterly undeserved. And I think the film frames it as such most of the way through. Uh, but he definitely brought it on himself to an extent. <laughs> He's um, Nigel Hawthorne's Malvolio is just so gloriously pompous. I mean, so is Stephen Fry's Malvolio. I mean, how could Stephen Fry play anyone as anything else? But um, <laughs> um He's uh, he's so ridiculous in that like Downton Abbey uh, butler kind of a way Nigel Hawthorne is, uh, and to see him kind of so small and ordinary and just sort of dressed in a um, basic like a an ordinary suit and off with his umbrella, it feels like he's he's definitely changed a bit just from that one shot. Well, I'm wondering how important do you think it is that Malvolio be played by an older man in Nun's version? as part of it being sort of a darker take. Yeah, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I guess I think it makes him sadder. Just yeah. the fact that he's, you know, that they're doing this to him and he's just like a poor old man. And also the fact that he's, you know, so deluded. And I think part of the that he's sort of almost physically smaller, that it kind of both makes it makes him sort of a comic figure, but also not the same kind of, you know, Stephen Fry gets away with a lot just by the virtue of the fact that he's like six foot five. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, he was in his, he's in his fifties when he plays it. So he's relatively younger because Nigel Hawthorne was like 70 or something when he played that just under 70, like 65. And, and so part of his, you know, what they, where they make him ridiculous and also is, you know, when you get to see him adjusting his toupee and mm-hmm. the fact that he's sort of doesn't belong there just because it's a world of young people. And he's this older, pompous, as you said, you know, almost like a relic of an older time. Yeah. And then when he gets locked up, it's like this poor guy, as opposed to, ah, this silly Doof just got locked up. He deserved it. I don't know. I don't. I don't see him as in the nun film. I don't see Nigel Hawthorne's performance as being that. This is the end for him. I almost see it as hopeful that maybe he gets to move on and redefine himself. Mm-hmm. There's. It's not like he's got one foot in the grave. He's older, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. No. I don't. But, mean but he's like he's built this whole career around loving this woman who doesn't love him. Yeah, and who <laughs> doesn't really know herself? Uh, in Helena Bonham's Carter, Helena Bonham Carter's performance, she uh, she teeters on that line of insane in just a beautiful way, where Rylance just goes right over the. He's like, I'm insane. Um, mm-hmm. But I kind of my heart breaks for Malvolio with Nigel yeah. Hawthorne. With Stephen Fry, it does not. But with yeah. with Nigel, for sure. My heart breaks for him. He's you know uh, he's a nice guy, and maybe uh, despite the melancholy of that whole film, part of me goes, well, maybe good for him. Maybe he gets out better. He get out now than wait ten more years and be eighty and find out this is a this isn't going to happen. I don't know. It just seems to me like there's more for him elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Coriolanus style, I suppose. Mm. Wow, let's hope he doesn't, you know, 
die and mount his revenge. Because <laughs> he does say he's going to be revenged, and then he goes and he leaves to a world elsewhere. Like. That's right. And he becomes Coriolanus. You didn't know that? <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen that film? <laughs> yeah, they were they were definitely very different Malvolios. I mean, I liked both of them. And mm-hmm. the moment I remembered that we were going to see Stephen Fry in yellow stockings cross garter, I was just like, oh, my God, I forgot this was happening. And it was just total anticipation for the, for the rest of the time. And it was it was glorious. It, it did not disappoint. He um, I, it, Stephen Fry is perfect for that kind of role. And, I mean, there may have been moments where – like I think, I think if they tried to go as serious with the madness plot for the stage show, which wouldn't have fit at all, but if they had, I don't know if he would have been up to it. But um, yeah, he just he played that kind of overbearing, pompous. He, I mean, he was basically Melchit from Blackadder. He was his character from Blackadder, and he even did the laugh at one point, which I was very happy about. And uh, yeah, he was he was great, and I thought his. Um, I'll be revenged on the whole pack of you at the end was much more just a sort of empty, uh, like throwaway line as he storms out. Um, that was much funnier than, uh, than Nigel Hawthorne's, uh, sort of quiet seething delivery of it. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking that one of the things that the globe sort of leans into is sort of stock characters and just the fact that the fool is in Motley and that, you know, Olivia is so over the top with her sparkly black gown and her crown. And that, you know, in a way you could say, and, you know, Malvolio is just the one that, that is there to be laughed at. And what Nigel Hawthorne does in Nunn's film is much, much, much more nuanced because he's, he is this, you know, behaving like a fool who we get to laugh at, but you're even while you're laughing at him, you're just like really feeling for him. And the fact that he gets us both to care about him so much, even while, you know, we're sort of glad that he's in yellow stockings cross guarded, which they really do the cross guardering in the nun film. And they kind of tone it down a little bit in the, uh, in the globe production. I, I mean, I think that it's just a really, really great performance and not every actor could do that. I don't know that, Stephen Fry could not not to say bad things, not to say anything about. I mean, I think Stephen Fry is great in it, but it's very much a purely comic role in the Globe production. It's much more complex and nuns, nuns. And I think that's true of pretty much all the characters. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, that that gets back to being doing a a story for film versus a story. I mean, the Globe production was for hundreds and hundreds of people. Those being done live and the film we have is amazing, but it's also a film of a, a show. So you have to be, you can't really get that nuance and that subtlety because of the nature of the medium, I suppose. But I think that the Malvolio in the nun film has some fantastic subtle comedy. The The bit with the bike is so funny. I was laughing so hard when I was rewatching it. He steals a bike from a little kid <laughs> can't ride it he goes to put it down it falls over like he doesn't then he rides it uphill like it's it's not like over the head here's comedy it's just lotsy it's just nice little perfect sort of he has the bit to with the sundial which is yes. uh, you know it's a great malvolio bit where he checks the sundial 
checks his watch, sees that the time zone agree, and changes the sundial. He doesn't change. <laughs> he doesn't change his watch. He's like, no, the sun. The sun is wrong. I'm right. <laughs> like that's funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you're right. It is all very subtle. Like, um, I'm not sure I ever noticed his two pay adjustment before, and it's hilarious. Right? It's just like tiny, small little moment, um, but it's really funny. It's it's pure in comedy. It's just straight. <laughs> pure like this is bump set spike comedy which is in keeping with his character which is very puritanical for better and for worse and the moment where he grabs the statue yes <laughs> the statue can we talk about the statue that <laughs> <laughs> was so good it just, okay. it just oh, sorry, elevated that scene to just being like the moment where he grabs it and, and just it sort of like overshadowing that whole scene. It just, it adds so much. It's like a, just an extra layer of creepiness on the top of this whole thing. Um, and when he grabs it and you're just like, Oh, Malvolio. Oh no. What are you doing? <laughs> I do wonder how much that's that whole sequence was influenced by Kenneth Branagh as much as you do about nothing. Yes, definitely. Uh, the film. Yeah. Yeah. The film, the film it, the, like none by a couple of years it did yeah because you have malvolio outside in the garden you have them standing right behind like a green bush just like branna's benedict was when he was overhearing leonardo and co telling talking about how beatrice is in love with him then you have malvolio like declaring his love in front of a fountain mm-hmm. um which i mean he doesn't go and kick up water in it like Branna, but he does do that. And then he, there's all this play with the statue, which you had, you know, Emma Thompson's Beatrice was hiding terribly behind a statue, like not even a little bit subtle. There just seemed like a lot of echoes of that scene. And there's even when they get over, I think it was in the nun film, when they get over, when they start accidentally like making sounds and yes. then they, they, and then they go into the, the <gasps> yeah, which is, you know, exactly what Branna's Benedict does i loved that yeah. malvolio with the fountain in the nun film didn't the beautiful piece of art beautiful water work happening and for him it's a mirror that he walked up and like checked his own reflection <laughs> yeah. it just said so much about who this guy is like that's that's just behavior you know that's brilliant um here's this great piece of art but what is it about it's really about me it's like <laughs> <laughs> what a dick <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which helps contribute to like you know the joy the audience gets from seeing Malvolio get his comeuppance. Absolutely, uh, but but I mean in in both productions that I mean it, it seems consistent to me across Twelfth Nights that I've seen it it always tips over this line into into cruelty by the end, and I've I've never really felt satisfied with how that's resolved or addressed. Cruelty towards Malvolio from Fabian, Mariah, Toby, Feste at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's so clear that moment, I think, in the um in the nun film because of I felt Imelda Staunton's Mariah just the moments where you see her expression just being a little bit like, Oh, I don't know about this. Like when um basically when they're like, Oh well, he's obviously mad, we should pack him off to the madhouse, you know. And she just does this face like, uh, I don't know about this, guys. Um, of course, she doesn't speak up. But, um, yeah, I really felt uh, that her Mariah just got increasingly less certain about whether this was a good idea or not, which, unfortunately, 
I think made her decision to marry Toby very strange, but yeah, it was, it was really uh, apparent, I think, in the, in that scene that this was tipping over into um, too much. When, and her Mariah is a lot more toned down too, to be much more like a servant and much more like a calmer person, even though she's the architect of this, as opposed to in the Globe production where Mariah is just, you know, having a glorious yeah. time making life difficult for everyone and, you know, sneering at people. Yeah, they cut all of her really dirty jokes in the, the nun yeah. film, which was a shame, mm-hmm. but also maybe makes sense. Yeah, Mariah might have been my favorite part of the Globe production. Uh, I just found her unspeakable yeah. hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, one of my favorite things about the Globe production was just Mariah's cleavage. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was beautiful. Uh, like the costuming and the actor and just uh, like his facial expressions and the fact that they kept the dirty jokes. It, yeah, it was it was great. She was just delightful. Also did a great job. We're talking earlier about the the vocal quality of Viola and how grating it was in the the Globe production for some of us in this panel. (laughs) Um, But I think the payoff is Mariah did such great used the vocal range for comedy. Oh yeah. When he when Mariah dropped down to the low tones, it was like it always got a laugh. It was just like that is just. At Mariah's disposal, whenever she wants to laugh, just drop down to the low tones, <laughs> and everyone's like conditioned to be like, "Ma, yes, that was brilliant." What, what did she say? <laughs> <laughs> but just, it's a great chance to see the audience in the palm of an actor's hand. And Mariah, I don't have the names in front of me, but that Mariah was absolutely stunning, stunning. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more with uh, how I think she sold the show. And to steal yeah. a show from Mark Rylance is pretty and hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what do you think about – is it cool to stay on Mariah for a second and talk about status? Because I'm obsessed yeah. with status. Yeah. But Let's do it. I think well, – what do you think about the different variations in the way that the two Mariahs handled their status inside of the characters that they knew and characters they didn't know? Or that they they – let me rephrase the way that Mariah's handled the status inside t- the characters that they were tight with and the characters that they were against or didn't, didn't know. AKA Feste, Fabian, Toby, Andrew, Cesario, Malvolio. Yeah. I mean, I think in the, someone alluded to it earlier, I think, but in the nun film, Mariah's much more of a traditional servant and fulfills that role that you would see, I guess, in any sort of, quarter upstairs downstairs drama whereas in the in the globe production she seems much more autonomously powerful uh (laughs) and and so it part of it for me relates to the the whole subplot with surrender and sir toby where it it feels very like it in my mind it's always the sort of the low class the base characters who are taking their vengeance on malvolio and then i remember that it's sir andrew and sir toby like it's the they're goofballs but they're the like the relative and the you know high class suitor of uh of olivia and and yet uh they're playing the role of sort of these these base characters uh and the only one who you know truly belongs in that servant class is 
uh, Mariah, and somehow she's still uh, the most powerful and the ringleader amongst them. I do. Th- I mean, it is sort of interesting in the nun nun film, just going back to casting, because um, this is you know two years after Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing, where Imelda Staunton played Margaret, and her Margaret was, of course, you know, much bigger and and broader and and you know had more power almost and she's much more toned down here as mariah and it's sort of interesting that you know they've used the same actress in a in what could be somewhat of a similar part and played it completely differently i didn't realize that was the same actress that's really cool i should have known that <laughs> what, what did you think about status dan um i thought that it was interesting the way that i i liked i liked i appreciated the assurance of the globes mariah paul what's the last name alex (laughs) paul my friend paul uh (laughs) i appreciated how confident that mariah was i don't know how to pronounce it tahiti but i i found myself just so in love with the mariah of the nun film just not in love with I just I just wanted her to be happy. And I felt sort of sad that she was in love with Toby, but just like she's so sweet and so giving and caring to the people that she cares about and the ones that she does not. She's like um, I it felt to me that Mariah's motivation in the Globe film was laughs. And it felt to me that the motivation for Mariah's subplot in the nun film was how much she loved Toby and wanted to hurt someone that was hurting the man that she loved, which made yeah, her yeah. really compelling to me. And you also see her getting like drunk and crazy in the nun film, the way you do her participating in those festivities more in the globe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's really hard not to like Imelda Staunton. Like, even if she's playing yeah. a horrible <laughs> she a character whose husband can't stand her, like, you still love her. I, I guess what, one of the things that's interesting to me is that so often class and status are equated, particularly in Shakespeare, and Mariah really breaks that mold. Yeah. That's a really good point. Class and status are often, they're not the same thing, but mm-hmm. they, they are so interchangeable sometimes verbally. I mean, you really do get the sense that Mariah is in love with Toby, however much I might disagree with that, um, <laughs> that choice. Uh, um, because Mel Smith's Toby is is horrible. I mean, Toby's awful, but uh, just in general as a character, I think. But he's he's really extra. I think with the with the kind of dark tone of the nuns film, the nun uh, film, he um, he's just. Yeah, he's extra terrible. And so it's, yeah, there's, I definitely get feeling sad for Mariah because uh, she deserves so much better than this, like, slightly sociopathic dude who just ruins everything and then <laughs> just gets in a in a carriage and drives away. Like, yeah. Wow, the face uh, Dan just made. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk over you. But sociopathic? So Toby? <laughs> Yeah, he's just, I think he just, for me, he just comes across as like callous and 
cruel and because I think because yeah, apparently the tone that I mean in the on the globe uh, in the globe production, I I really liked um, Satobi as well the um, the performance. But just because he's, you know, they play up the drunkenness thing more for laughs. It's more whimsical and like the hiding bottles all around the stage thing was brilliant. Um, but in the film, he's just, it's, I think because the stakes are higher for everyone that his behavior is just way less excusable. And so, and, and because you get Mariah's reaction of being really quite seeming quite uncertain about where this whole thing is going and it, it just feels much more serious and and solemn that that she's in love with him because he's yeah he's just comes across as more awful and uh, just a quick aside to say that both actors who played Sutobi were really truly excellent at playing drunk which mm-hmm. i think sometimes can can not be great if you're not if you haven't quite got that then it can make it less um, thoroughly entertaining but they were both brilliant at it so i feel like i trusted the globe uh sir toby more yeah. uh colin hurley who had to had, the, the bit you're talking about with the, with the bottles appearing he was always sort of in control even though when he was drunk he was like i'm fine this is me yeah. <laughs> like, this is what i do and take my drink away, but I've got four more. I'm, I'm, I was prepared enough. I planted these last night when I was hammered, so that I, when this happened, I'd be, I'd be ready. Whereas in the nun version, I felt he was more dangerous. Yeah, that Sir Toby scared me. Um, mm-hmm. so I like, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I loved them both. They were, they were great. That's the end of this episode of the 21st Folio. The next part of this discussion will be available to download on Monday. To keep up with the latest episodes, subscribe to the 21st Folio podcast on iTunes. For show notes and more information about the podcast, please visit 7th-row.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-H-R-O-W.com. 